0: My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Ted.
0: My name is Gray. And,
1: and this, this is, is Anamorphology.
2: The invasion. The visitor. The encounter. The message. The predator. The capture. The stranger. The, and, the secret. The android. The forgot. The reaction. The chain. The war. warning. The, underground, the decision. The spoke departure. The sudden discovery. The, 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 proposed, discovery the proposed threat. threat the new conspiracy. The, the solution. The, the deception. The suspicious. The, species, the, the, unexpected, the, the expector, sacrifice. The, the, the attack, diversion. The beginning. unexpected
3: and my name is rena hello again
2: amazing welcome Rina. back Rena. so glad to have you back welcome back. it is good to be back i'm so excited again yeah it's great having distance guests when we're all distanced from each other anyway this is a great time to talk to people across the country thank goodness for technology
1: i know yes
2: so has anything i know we already got your like animorphs journey last time has anything evolved for you since we last spoke um, it's been really cool listening to
3: the podcast and and getting a different perspective on some of the books. Like there are definitely a lot of details I didn't really either pay attention to or notice the first time around. And I'm definitely a lot more invested in the Tobias and Rachel mm. yes. shipping aspect. I nice mean, I, to us? yeah, <laughs>
0: nice. yeah.
3: I I um. I mean, I thought they were you know a cute couple, but I I don't know. I thought I, I was much more invested in Jake and Cassie the first time around. But this time I'm like, Rachel and Tobias are so much cuter.
2: Well, Jake and Cassie sort of have a more obvious and yeah. thing. Like, they like each other right from the beginning. Rachel and Tobias kind of play it cool for a dozen books or so.
3: Yeah, I think I'm not very good at seeing the non-obvious, or at least when I was younger. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe I'm still not good at that. I don't know. But <laughs> thankfully, you guys are helping me out a little
1: bit. I quite liked the Rachel and Tobias stuff right at the end of this book, but we'll talk about <laughs> it. Later.
3: Yes, there is some cute things. There's also some good Jake and Cassie stuff at the end of this one. Yeah, Yeah,
2: we'll definitely talk about that. Alright,
1: so Rena, you were excited to come on for this book in particular. What about this one, Stuck in Your Memory?
2: Australia.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Just the the whole continent? Yes, I was very excited because this book was in Australia. I mean, like as a kid, I found that like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. But um, coming around again this time, you know, when I knew I wanted to be a guest star again. Um, I was really excited about doing this particular one because um, I spent six months in Australia last year, Ooh. and so Australia is very close to my heart, feels like a second home. So I really oh, wanted to, lovely. to talk that's about fantastic. the book that had it.
2: <laughs> I Yeah, I want to hear more about how this book compared to your memories of Australia, but we should probably talk about what happens in the book first.
1: Probably. Yeah, well, no, first, or, yeah, first we should did we talk think about it. You're right, yeah. So... Gray, you guessed it correctly. Australia (laughs) was involved. Uh, What did you make of this book? Australia was
0: involved. Um, This was a really interesting book. There was a lot of the sort of graphic, visceral detail that I traditionally do not enjoy. Um, But Hmm. uh, for whatever reason... I have now become inured to Cassie's magic doctoring skills, um, so that didn't bug me as much as it did the last time she performed emergency surgery. <laughs> and
2: legs and brains are not maybe not quite, quite the, same, the same. I'm gonna say, yeah.
0: Importantly, um, and then also, uh, I, you know, Cassie's so far. I think one of the only animorphs that's gotten books that are just about her. Which is kind of interesting, That's and cool. I think she's, part of it is that she's got such a depth of character that she can hold the, the book together just with her own um, her own thoughts and her own complicated feelings about what they're doing and why, and I thought that was a, it was cool the way that they did that here, where because she's the one who has to like defend herself, she can't kind of get away from the fact that she's causing the violence. So I liked a lot of the Cassie yeah. stuff. I don't know, but it was also just she goes to Australia somehow and then turns into a kangaroo. <laughs> I mean, it was also just deeply weird. So it's an Animorphs book. What can I say? Pretty
2: much. Yeah, I
1: was. I had such low expectations going into this book. I remember it being like, oh gosh, it's a Cassie Four book. It's the one where she goes to Australia. It doesn't matter at all. Nothing happens. Like it's like she goes on a weird adventure and then it gets reset at the end. You know, like whatever. Uh, So I definitely did not connect with it as a kid. This time, I think having low expectations helped. It felt a little bit like a Cassie's greatest hits, but it also was a really good like statement of character or like. Let's check in with Cassie and see how she's doing, you know, 10 books ahead at the end of the series. Mm. Like it's, it's kind of a nice, like, this is, this is Cassie's journey in one book.
2: Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also had very low expectations. I didn't remember much about this book, except that Cassie ends up in Australia and morphs a kangaroo. And I ended up enjoying it way more than I expected to. Like, I think the, the antics were really like, satisfying in a way that like sometimes they sort of you know plot magic their way out of stuff and like Cassie really got like driven into a corner and had to fight really hard to survive and that was just really fun to see that go on for so long. It definitely wasn't as satisfying as I feel like it could have been if like a few elements had been a little stronger or more present like it was Mm -hmm. ultimately kind of a silly book but it did have some nice moments from Cassie and yeah it's weird to see her without the rest of the group. I think we'll talk more about that. Yeah, Rena, did you have, I mean, you kind of already gave your thoughts on why you wanted to do this one. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I actually, I kind of like the first half of the book pretty well. Like, the whole thing with, you know, getting Cassie on the airplane is obviously a little contrived. But her being on the airplane and having to fight the controllers with, you know, limited weapons and like no escape option, really. Um, I thought she was, like, really creative, and I, like, really liked the tension of that scene. I thought that was done really well. And then I don't actually like the Australia section as well, <laughs> due to a variety of reasons, which I will be happy to explain and talk at length Ooh. about later.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Right.
2: Well, great. do you want to tell us what happened in this book?
0: All right, let me do my best. Uh, this is going to be off the cuff more than mine usually are, but we'll see what happens.
2: Yes! I love off-the-cuff summaries. All
0: right, so the opening caper is the Animorphs at an airport. They are trying to learn more about a piece of metal that some U.S. Marines have somehow captured, all right, that is, they think, part of a bug fighter. turns out to be part of a bugfighter. Um, and the Yerks are trying to reclaim this piece of wreckage before it can be taken away and sent to, I guess, NASA, maybe? Um, Cassie is (laughs) scouting and uh, sees the beginning of a conflict between the Marines and the Yerks controllers. Uh, The other animores swoop in, and they have this big battle. In the course of the battle, Cassie separates from the group to check on the Marines and make sure they're okay, the first of many questionable decisions. Uh, She is then knocked unconscious mm-hmm. and wakes up to find herself in the cargo hold of an airplane heading to she does not know where. Um, while she is in the cargo hold, a Yerk fighter um uh freezes the plane or something and these controllers uh get on board the plane and try to find her. She is trying to get away from them and ends up uh, in kind of a conflict with a couple of the Hort-Bajir, and two Hort-Bajir die. She then, like, throws herself out of the plane and morphs into an osprey on the way down and lands in the middle of the Australian outback. She morphs into a flea to hide from the Yerks, who are still looking for her, obviously, and is discovered by a young boy named uh, Yami, I'm going to go with. And he takes her back to his his home. He lives in this, like, outstation in the middle of the Australian outback somewhere. Uh, as they're going, they see a whole bunch of kangaroos and Cassie acquires one of them because of course she does. Why wouldn't you? That's awesome. Uh, while she is hanging out with Yami and his family, she uh, comes to learn that in the process of the fight, uh, a bug fighter crashed, uh, while she, yes. So she destroys a bug f- fighter, um, and uh, it crashes into the desert, and it destroys the like radio tower that's near their outstation. So she has no way to phone home or call for help in any way. And in addition to that, uh, Yami's grandfather has been injured. Uh, he was using a piece of the bug fighter to carve a boomerang. It slipped and cut his leg, and his leg is now very infected and gangrenous. So Cassie morphs to work Bashir. And amputates his leg, and that is just the thing that happened. Um, and uh, she is planning to morph into kangaroo and cross the outback in order to find help for Yami's <laughs> grandfather and also find a way home for herself. Uh, before she can do that, Vizier Three shows up because, of course, he does in his blade ship. Um, she tries to lead all of the Yerks away from yami and his family in her kangaroo morph so she's kind of bounding across the desert and uh it, it, what instead uh these two like tourist airplanes come by and this are three calls the whole thing off, uh, destroys all evidence that they uh, were were there at all, I guess. And Cassie is in the desert. She's exhausted. She's gone through all of this without really having had a chance to rest or recuperate. And she turns around and, oh, one of the chi is there. Because, sure. Uh, And the the, chi has snuck onto the blade ship and is now um, in Australia with Cassie. And the chi gets her home somehow. And then the last chapter is them in the barn talking about their (laughs) adventures. And Jake wants to take Cassie away and smooch her. And it's all very sweet. Oh, they're at the garden. That's right. They are at the gardens. I just assumed that they were in their normal spot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no they're at the garden that's right
0: he's eating the cardboard that's no, true they are at the garden I did forget he's eating mm-hmm. the cardboard uh, so they um, at the, the last time no, they the garden. special occasion
2: yeah they have out, to be at the out, garden out, so, the so that Tom Axe can eat all that eat cardboard. popcorn and blooming blo- onions and Cassie, the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah
1: that yeah as Mom's you were narrating <laughs> that right it's just like a big weird series of events
2: <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed the like series of event-ness of the first part like It's fun having, like, protagonists who are taking initiative or whatever, but it's also really fun having one character who's, like, just being, like, driven to, like, just the utmost limits of her resources by, like, these people who are chasing her. Like, that's why it's so fun to read about, like you know, the kids who are on the run from home and have to make do with like 50 cents a day or whatever. Like it's, you know, Mm -hmm. what can she do with the very like minimal?
1: It's yeah. Yeah. It's also the same basic plot structure as like all the really good episodes of breaking bad. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And like
1: the writers have even said they would basically write Walter White into a corner. Yeah. At the end of one episode just to force themselves next week (laughs) in the writers (laughs) room to come up with some like amazing scheme. And this feels like the same thing. It's like, and I agree with, with what you were saying, Rena, like, getting her onto the plane is like maybe a little forest, but then all the stuff from then on is so Once good. And plane, like yeah. Cassie is like, she's so clever and she's so clever, but also makes mistakes and just has to deal with it. And it's mm-hmm. great.
2: And they have so much power. Like they can turn into any animal. And so it's really satisfying to have like situations where the Yerks, have really caught on to what they could do and probably will do in this situation. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, how can we foil the animorphs? And Cassie's like, she can't morph a bug because they're using bug spray. And, uh, there's only one of her, so she can't really take them on head on. And they've frozen all the people on the plane, so she can't even hide there. Yeah. There's just like, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I think the Yerkes in this, in this book have, uh, definitely taken notes from Soraya <laughs> on, uh, how to, yeah. h- how to be better I... about defeating the Andalite bandits.
1: Yeah, I want, I feel like the 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 woman in Sweats on the plane. The gym
2: teacher. The
1: gym mm-hmm. teacher. She has like risen up the ranks in our Yurk villain list. And she doesn't even get a name. Yeah. Just for yeah. that one scene, I feel like she's earned some respect.
2: Yeah. Can we talk about that scene in the plane? Because that was great. That yeah. was great. That was great about it. So everyone was frozen because the Yurks have a tractor beam, apparently. And that can okay. freeze
1: a plane.
2: Yeah. It's the the green light freeze tag ray. It's ultimate
3: freeze <laughs> and, tag ray.
1: No, but the power of it is such that when the the cargo bay on the plane opens, while they're in the tractor beam, there's no air pressure differential.
3: I was glad that they mentioned that because the whole thing where like Cassie is able to just open the door of a plane in mid-flight, I was like, wait a second. And then they're like, <laughs> because there's no pr- pressure differential. And I'm like, okay, that's the... Nice, nice way to sneak that in there.
1: But yeah, does every bug fighter have this capability?
2: Yeah, so okay, the Yerks were very impressive in this book, but if they have these abilities, I'm like, why haven't they used this on every battle? The Animorphs would be helpless. Like, they could just freeze everyone. Yeah. Yep, what a great point. So I don't know why, yeah. I, I'm guessing
3: <laughs> it was a prototype technology that was only on those two bug fighters and then was accidentally oh, yeah. destroyed at the end because, you know, or 3 doesn't make right, backups.
2: It was only on that one bug fighter that Cassie blew yep. up when she was, when she had jumped out of the plane like the badass she is. Let's talk
3: about how powerful those handheld dra- dracon beams are that she can blast a bug fighter with just a handheld one.
2: Oh yeah, no. <laughs> it's I am, as yeah. usual,
0: deeply confused by the technology that they have because sometimes <laughs> it's really good. Okay, but and sometimes. No, not so much.
1: I know that you all will be upset at me reminding you that this ever happened, but maybe this is just a universe where small aircraft explode super easily.
2: <laughs> oh that's right. Because you know, because helicopters are helicopter in thirty nine. Yeah, same as our universe, except that small aircraft are much more vulnerable.
1: No, so the scene that scene in the cargo bay is amazing. I really love so so the whole sequence, um, it starts with Cassie basically, um, so the whole sequence is set up to like make her kind of like doubt her own decisions Mm -hmm. and then she rallies and is obviously incredibly impressive. Mm -hmm. But it starts out being like, okay, well, the controllers are going to kill these innocent Marines. The Marines aren't standing down. So I'm going to intervene before the rest of the Animorphs show up. And then she's like, these Marines are still going to die. So Jake called a retreat, but I'm going to save them. Mm -hmm. Right. And then she gets on the plane and she's like, oh, man, Horkbajir are here, but... And I know they're kind of innocent, but I'm still going to kick them out into space because it's the only way that I can survive. And then yeah. she gets up into the the plane, and she she's hiding in all these different places, and she tries to pretend to be a frozen person.
2: Oh, that was so good.
1: Yeah, and then... But then when she's facing off against the uh, the gym teacher woman, she has a gun and can't bring herself to kill someone in cold blood, so she jumps off of the plane, mm-hmm. right? And so it's mm-hmm. like... It's const- And then after she jumps off the plane, she shoots a taxon in the head and blows up a bug fighter and everybody yes. on board, right? Yes. So, like, so it's like it's constantly testing her in her, like, moral decision making mm-hmm. at the same time as it's testing her, like, I don't know, MacGyvering <laughs> skills.
3: I think my favorite moment of that whole thing on the scene on the airplane scene uh, was when she weaponized hot coffee by pouring it down the hatch. I just think that was yeah.
2: the coolest thing. I also really liked when she's like, okay, it's going to take them a while to come back. And she finds like a sleeping bag among the luggage Mm -hmm. and a man's cardigan and some bottles of prune (laughs) juice. And she like hunkers down amid some crates and is like, it's like space camp (laughs) where some aliens are going to come kill you.
1: And dear Cassie is like, should I steal this man's prune juice and his sweater? I know that he'll be cold and constipated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She, yeah, she's, She's sitting there next to all these crates of oranges. Like, clearly there's some, like, I don't know, commercial shipping of oranges happening. And she's like, I shouldn't take the oranges on this flight to Australia. This is a very long flight. And she's like, okay, granted, I did just, like, get involved in a battle where I hurt and maybe killed a bunch of, like, people, maybe killed some horquish but that still doesn't justify me taking the oranges. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm very curious as to why they are shipping oranges to Australia. I don't know if this counts as like a 90s moment, but usually import and export of fruit and, you know, especially something with seeds is very highly regulated. So I'm not entirely sure why oh. oranges are so easily imported on a passenger flight. But, you know, maybe they were looser about these things in the 90s. That's a
1: really good point. That
0: does
3: seem weird.
0: Yeah, is a question I had, too.
3: I'm sorry, I, will ha- I have lots of tiny nitpicks about this episode, so I apologize <laughs> if uh, that ruins anyone's enjoyment.
0: Oh, I love no tiny necessary. Yeah. Super excited about
2: that. <laughs> I was more focused on, Cassie, just eat the oranges. You're going to Australia. You're going to need some <laughs> liquids and sugar.
0: Well, and also it's like, okay, I understand that she is, you know, she, she has her standards and her principles, and I appreciate that she is going to stand by those no matter what. But, like, also in the process of this whole thing happening, not only does she end up having to, like, eat an orange, but she also, like, all of the people on this plane, their vacations have just been ruined. Mm
3: -hmm. To say the least. Their
0: stuff is now just scattered over the Pacific Ocean.
1: Not only that, but they've been, they've all been burned by a Dracon beam. Yeah,
0: burned by a Dracon beam. Like, this is not a good vacation if they're, or not a good homecoming.
1: I want to talk about that moment because I found it so horrifying. Like the the people on the plane get paralyzed and the the plane, everybody's going to wake up with like actual burns on their arms with, and like no memory of that happening to them. That's going to be so traumatic and yeah. weird. And like the airline's going to be involved in lawsuits or like, <laughs> or maybe the Yerks killed them all. Like, like something bad must've happened to those people, but they're just kind of like props for this exciting adventure.
3: Maybe they all ended up in a TV
2: show called Lost. I'm surprised they didn't just kill all the people one by one. Well, I guess because they weren't they weren't supposed to kill the Endolith Banda; they were supposed to capture it, right? Okay. Yeah, and so with the with the orange thing, I feel like Cassie was in a position where she had to do so many things she didn't want to do in order to survive and further this mission and everything. And I think maybe it was okay. This one thing I can control and choose not to do. And so I think it's like. You know, when everything's falling apart in your life, so you do your hair really nicely or something. (laughs) Like, that sort of, like, minor exercise of
0: Hey, I'm in that picture, and I don't like it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure your hair looks fantastic.
0: Sadly, it doesn't, which makes that even more depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, but it's a really good point. I mean, she does have... She's having a very, very bad day, and I get that she is, as I say, like, clinging to those principles um, which is great, but just eat the orange, sweetheart.
2: <laughs> but I feel like this whole book is, like, grappling, not in a very in-depth way, because it still mostly lives in the sort of fluffy realm, but, like, it's grappling with this thing where she's trying to split the difference between what she thinks is right in terms of behavior and what she has to do in this war, and she's trying to live with both in a really, like... She has to compromise on it and she's trying to figure out where the line of compromise is and how to live with that compromise. Like she references the thing in 43. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That, that blew my mind that there was such like, I like at this point in the series, I really don't expect there to be that much connection, like book to book. Cause you know, they're just kind of like jumping around to all these random ideas that they have. Right. Like it would be so ludicrous if somebody brought up book 42 with like the helmet coming back. <laughs> right. But Cassie had such a big moment in 43, so I love yeah. that it continues here.
2: It felt like it was just that one thing. Like, the rest of it felt much lighter than that moment. Well, and so I'm sure this ghostwriter hadn't read 43 before writing this one, because I'm sure they were happening in parallel. So, like, I, I feel like at the last minute, they were like, oh, let's reference this major thing that had happened with Cassie. That's
1: interesting. So here's I'll, my take on this book is that it's Cassie's greatest hits. And I think that we can go through like most of them, and I think there are elements of them here, right? So we bring up what Cassie's big decision in 43, right? That comes back. Mm -hmm. If you go back to 39, 39 had the same element of like solo Cassie and like Mm, tracking her moment to moment as bad things happen. That was a lot more like running away. And this was a lot more. And there
2: was the same element of like, Oh, I've brought this innocent person into this trouble with me. And I'm responsible Mm -hmm. now for what happens to them, even though I'm not the one doing bad things to them. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. The Aldrea book, maybe not so much. Um, book 29 with the surgery mm-hmm. obviously comes back in a big way. Um, Helmicron's maybe not so much, <laughs> right? 19 gets referenced here with Aftran. Yeah. She reflects. And, and it's interesting. Cassie has taken on this identity as like a risk taker. Yeah, I was trying She's to like, point other that than out. Rachel. So surprised. to like, me. She's like, Aftran, that was a big risk. Like, Yeah. And then... Going back, so 14, I think, is similar to this w- one in some ways because of the silliness mm-hmm. and, like, the poop jokes and other things like that. And then 9 has the skunks, which comes back in a big way with the kangaroos at the end and mm-hmm. Yami's whole group of people where she feels she feels this obligation, like, oh, no, my presence here has made bad stuff happen, so mm-hmm. I can't just peace out. I have to make it right, right? So it's, like, it's all this—it's, like, all of Cassie's big decisions— in smaller stakes versions are kind of, like, touched on here mm-hmm. as she's, like, you know, doing this thing on her own. And I don't know how intentional that was, but it really jumped out as, like, a, a yeah. thematic summary. it
2: didn't feel like a culmination to me because it felt less... It felt like it had less depth than... Well, like, it, that it was doesn't each e- of them in less depth. It
1: doesn't evolve, right? Yeah. Like it, it kind yeah. of is like this is this is who Cassie is now. Like nothing comes to the weight of what happened in 43, which wasn't even a Cassie book. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's like a reminder, this is what's going on with Cassie. She thinks <laughs> about these things. Unlike you know, like Jake who's all about winning the war, and Rachel who's all about punching people or whatever, <laughs> right?
2: So, yeah, this thing where Cassie was the biggest, that was so surprising when she said, like, I'm I'm maybe the biggest risk taker, maybe even more than Rachel. Yeah, Rena, were you saying that you wanted to bring that up?
3: Yeah, I was thinking it was, um, yeah, really cool that they mentioned it and it stood out to me as something, yeah, it was fairly accurate And that the AFTRAN moments um, stood out to me as, like, the first big risk that she took. Um, and that was, like, a huge one, which could have gone really, really bad. But, it, you know, lucky for her it worked out. But yeah, that, I think that was like and the biggest risk that any
1: of them had did taken. Any of the Animorphs have taken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Except David, I guess. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but Cassie in Megamorphs 1 was like, I'm the coward, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. So this is totally not, you know, there's no sign of Cassie the coward here. Mm-hmm. No, all.
0: and although, yeah. I mean, I, I see what she's saying, but she's not, though, the biggest risk taker. I think in part because my my thought on that was just Cassie has not seemed to me, in those situations, and I'm here specifically thinking of AFTRAM, she has not seemed to take the thought that would be required to see the possible bad outcomes. She just, you know, my complaint on those was Hmm. she was not thinking through the fact that this is something that could cause all of her friends to be captured and killed.
1: You're so right. No, because like in this book, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because like the thing with the Marines, right? She's like disobeying the group's orders. Mm. She's dragging out this thing. She's acting on her own. It means that she's like a maverick, and it is a risky thing to do. Yeah. But she's she's not like she's not like gambling or like taking her. She's she's really like undermining people and doing risky stuff. And then like for her to for her to say like oh well I'm a risk taker like Rachel I feel like that's That's that is missing the point. Like, Gray, I think you're saying like she's actually like, I don't know, being like foolish or naive or like hopeful or whatever is different from being like a risk. Yeah,
0: I think that's what I'm trying to say, and it's it's not even that. I think she is often foolish, but but her. I guess part of what I'm trying to say is I'm looking at her motivations for those actions, and even the risks that she takes. In this book, for example, right, she disobeys direct orders in order to go back and try and save, I guess, this Marine, right? I think that's what she's trying to do. It was a little unclear to me at the time. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very dumb decision. And the reason <laughs> it's dumb is not just because she's disobeying an order, but she's trying to do the, the right thing that is in front of her. And she's trying to do that to the best of her ability. I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate the, what she's doing. But I think her motivation is she sees a good action and she wants to follow through on it. She does not say, this yeah. is a risky action. I should think about the consequences and decide whether I should take that risk. She's just like, this is right. I will do it. And I, I just think that's different. Yeah,
1: she's not, she's, she's not considering alternatives. So she's not taking risks. She's doing things that are risky.
2: I feel like this is a really weird definition of a risk taker. Like, I don't think you have to have thought through all of the possible things in order to be someone who takes risks. But I do think you guys are right that about the way in which she takes risks, which is like, she doesn't necessarily, she doesn't take calculated risks. Like she doesn't weigh like, Oh, this is worth it. She, she just can't bring herself not to do like you were saying, great. Like the good that is in front of her. And she's like, so Rachel, when she takes risks, also doesn't really think it through. Like she, but she doesn't think it through in a different way. She doesn't think it through because she just wants to like barrel ahead and thinks that she'll succeed. And Cassie just can't bear the consequences of not doing this small risky thing. Like the, it's a little bit more willful blindness, whereas like Rachel, it just seems to be like I don't I don't I, maybe it's willful blindness in both cases, but a different a different variety of it.
3: I kind of think that when Cassie says she's a risk taker, it's more it says something more about like her character and what she views as a risk. Like I think she's mm. the kind of person who would say anytime she steps out of her comfort zone is a risk. So fighting even if she doesn't want to fight is a risk, you know, or um Doing something for one person, but maybe at the expense of another person is a risk, even if it's, like, the right thing. So I think it just says not so much whether that thing is a risk, but how Cassie views both the action and herself for doing it.
2: Although I'm not sure that she would say that, like, she takes more risks in battle than other people just by showing up to battle. Like, I think she would, I don't think she would put herself on, like, some sort of pedestal like that. I think she would respect that. Like, oh, we're all risking our lives in the course of normal battle every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is that I think about risk taking as you know, they did that study where there are some people who like don't uptake adrenaline the way that other people do, and so they just don't have like they they like don't have a fear response. So their their Mm -hmm. willingness to kind of perform very risky behaviors they're much more likely to do that because they just don't have, their brain chemistry is just different. They don't have that risk averse button that a lot of us have. Um, they looked at like people who do free climbing. Um, and. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. I think probably within that framework, yeah. like that doesn't apply to Cassie. I think she's probably just not. Right. So I think
0: it's just, that, I think I just have way. a different definition of it, but I, I agree Rena, with what you're saying that to some extent for her, because that's not her perspective, she's basically like, everything I do is a risk because it's all, you know, I show up and people get hurt and that's a risk that I'm taking. I might get killed. We all might get killed. All of those things are risky. I just, I don't think she's the most risk taker of the group. Is my point.
2: <laughs> so do, do we think that Rachel's brain in Z-Space, like, doesn't uptake adrenaline in the same way as other people's while she's in morph?
3: Yes <laughs> sure, I think that I think the uh, biology of things in z space is like cannot be quantified in any definable way, regardless <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is a wise approach, and yet I'm sure I will continue trying to quantify it,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think what you were saying about like is Rachel also thinking like she's definitely a risk taker, but like she also isn't thinking things through in the same yeah, way so no. why are we holding against cassie that. That makes a lot of sense to me, but I think there's something to the, like, I don't see Cassie's being like, I could save these Marines and that would be good. She's, it's like, I must. And that feels like if she's not, if she's not weighing the two options, how can she be taking the riskier
2: one? It's possible.
1: Yeah. That but, I this mean, it's is the same just thing.
2: a definitional issue that we don't need to solve. But yeah. We think, can
1: move on.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that'll be the whole two hour debate. Like what it means to be a risk taker. <laughs>
2: What is a risk?
1: (laughs) OED defines risk taker. (laughs) This is a picture of Cassie.
2: (laughs) Amazing. I'm so glad you kept that OED around, Ted. So you're right, Ted, that Cassie doesn't really reach any new ground uh, in this book. And maybe that's why it feels a little bit like lighter to me because she doesn't really reach anywhere new philosophically or emotionally speaking. Um, But I do really like the conversation that she has with Yami's grandfather, where she's like, oh, I'm so sorry that I've brought this all down upon you. And he's like, no, that's totally the wrong way to think about it. He says, like, she's like, they're here because of me. And he says, no, they're here because they're evil. You fight these creatures, yes? She nods. You did not fight them. Do you think they would leave us alone? Do you think they would stay away from this place and never hurt us? No. They would come. They would take our land, destroy our home. Our life would be gone forever. This I know. Do everything you can and anything you must. I only wish I could help. And then she touches his cheek and says, you already have. Which is kind of nice because I think she did need to hear that. But, like, it's just like, yes, Cassie, that is the point. Thank you so much, Yavi's grandfather, for making that point. Yeah. This is what annoys me in superhero movies. So it's like now the superheroes have to pay for the damages. And I'm like, this is just incredibly dumb. <laughs> and I'm so glad Yami's grandfather called out. Mm-hmm. The obviousness that Cassie is doing good things by fighting them the Yerks, not the grandfather.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do really like that passage. Um, and in fact, I will say, like, the Yami grandfather thing, it's it's like a nice moment. For Cassie to get that affirmation that she is doing the best that she can with what she's facing. Um, And what it reminded me of was Gandalf's, like, so do all who live to see such times, you know. Uh You just have to do the best you can with the situation that you're in. And for Cassie in particular, that Uh seems like, a really useful thing to tell her.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she really does feel like it's not enough to do the best you can. She has these incredibly high standards for herself and for the world. And sometimes when she's not meeting those standards, she kind of wants to, like, nope out of the situation. And then sometimes she gets pulled back in. And, yeah, she really struggles with that. She has, like, a certain type of idealism that's, like, not very flexible. Yeah,
3: she wants the best outcome for everybody, even though that's not really possible.
1: I will cite... I think this was someone on the, I don't know, Animorphs Facebook or subreddit or something, made a really good point that I wanted to bring up, which is that this book is one of three, like, Animorphs go to a remote location, meet a local, and stramps the Yerks kind of, like, (laughs) fillery books. The first one being 11 when they go to the jungle, and the second one being 25 when they go to the arctic mm-hmm. and here it's like it's maybe more different than the other two because Cassie's on her own they
2: always meet someone who's like ah a local spirit <laughs>
1: <laughs> right 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 and then it's it's but 11 especially has that same moment when it's like yeah so the the jungle boys are all going to come and fight the Yurks because Yurks are obviously bad and you get like the same beat mm-hmm. at the end here and I actually like it's a little bit it's a little bit I don't know it's a little bit like Trite in some ways, but I actually really like the hum- uninvolved humans. If you sit them down and say, "Look, there are bad aliens. They're going to kill every human. Will you fight?" That the humans are like, "Yeah, we're going to fight. Like, let's do it." Right. I, I I kind of love seeing that.
2: Yeah, and it actually also reminds me of the thing in book four when Cassie's like, "It's like the whole ocean. Like the whole earth has risen up against the Yurks." Right. And yeah, that is, that is kind of nice. There's definitely a little bit of like, ah, the native peoples, they are so wise. Right, right, right. It's
1: like a noble savage. They think they believe in animal spirits. They trust the earth. Like, it's not like if they showed up to a bunch of lawyers in Chicago and were like, aliens are here. The lawyers are probably going to... I would love that. (laughs) Right, but the lawyers aren't going to be like, yes, let us put down our I don't know, maybe Rachel's mom would.
2: Yeah. Right,
1: and fight. They'll probably be like, whoa, what is an alien? You mean like, (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, it's like a close to nature makes you... closer to goodness. It does sort of seem like, on the other hand, being super welcoming of like bird girl who can also turn into a flea. Like it's super (laughs) nice, but it's also a little weird. (laughs) You wouldn't have other follow-up questions.
2: Well, there's that thing where he's like, that's not that weird. We have this ancient myth about this spring. And I was like, yeah, we have like some ancient myths too, but I would still think it's really weird. Yeah, I still
0: have some questions.
2: (laughs) I actually kind of didn't like
3: that whole accepting her as like a spirit or whatever that was actually one of the things mm-hmm. i didn't like about that whole section um and i can talk about it now or talk about it later whichever it would fit talk about it now yeah. Let's get okay into it. Right. so having been to australia um there is a lot of tension between the aboriginal inhabitants and the people who have migrated like over the centuries to australia um in fact there's a like, the sort of equivalent to Independence Day in Australia is Australia Day, but it celebrates the day that um, James Cook first arrived, uh, like, and first landed at uh, whichever port that is that he lands at. And so, a lot of people... Oh, a little
2: Columbus Day. Yeah,
3: well, I mean, a lot of people sort of view that as Invasion Day, as, like, you know, the outsiders are coming yeah, in. Yeah. So, it's, like, not really a very universal holiday. A lot of people are like, how can this celebrate Australia when you're really settling or celebrating the white people coming to Australia? So I feel like it kind of bothers me that like Cassie shows up and she makes no effort to pretend like that she's an Australian. She's very much an outsider who says, you know, please take me to your phone so I can call home. I need to leave. And yet he's just like, you are clearly a spirit connected to the land. And I'm like, yeah, like they're Ooh, very much, they're very much like we know who our land belongs to. And outsiders are not allowed to be a part of like the close inner circle. Like there's a lot of... um. There was a um a book that was written by a scientist i think in like in the or like a anthropologist in the forties or fifties or something like that, and he just dis- studied a lot of the Australian myths and things like that and then published about them but apparently that was not um an allowable thing to do because the the Australian myths and legends are meant for the or the the aboriginal myths and legends are meant for the Aboriginal people and not to be shared with just anybody like yeah. you have to be a part of the group in order to be allowed to know about them so i feel like just saying like oh yeah you can shapeshift you must be one of the spirits uh, i don't know it doesn't sit right with me
2: yeah that's a really great point
1: point. and i also now i'm wondering if there's like a cassie's race never comes up mm-hmm. but does she kind of like get in because she's black No, i was right? kind like, of
3: wondering yeah, about that
1: it, and like i was i was thinking more actively like how do they not ad- why like they're just sort of not addressing it because of 90s race blindness but it's almost like they thought about it and they're like oh well she can she can fit in as a woodland spirit Mm -hmm. because of the color of her skin and like and then we don't have to address it in the text Mm -hmm. which is much worse I think yeah yeah and it's like it's stupid she's not gonna look like an aboriginal Australian
2: or sound like one they never talked about the accents did they like how did she not know she
3: was in Australia like as soon as Yami introduced like the Australian accent is really strong you know you can hear it in what people talk So she should have known that she was in Australia right then.
0: Okay, all that was so good. I love this so much.
1: (laughs) I totally love to. I'm so tempted to do a really bad Australian (laughs) accent, and I'm not going to do it.
2: (laughs) I do want you to read the sound that Dracon beans make when they're shooting water at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Your time will come.
1: (laughs) But yeah, so like, yeah, and we've been over this kind of stuff before. It's like not. I think uncomfortable is a good word. It's very, very nineties.
2: Yeah. We're sort of just like blipping into this world to be like, Oh, here's somewhere exciting and exotic that Cassie can visit for a while. And, uh, they'll believe she's an animal spirit. Cause people there have like spiritual beliefs. Like it didn't, I guess I didn't do any research into like Aboriginal myths or anything, which apparently would have been a bad idea anyway. Um, according to what Rena just said, but like, I'm just, like, it didn't feel very rooted in, like, authentic Australian culture.
3: Yeah, it was very, very vague, which, I mean, I guess maybe the author couldn't really find anything about it or, like, didn't want to I mean, pick something from a specific tribe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I assumed that just, like, no research was done, and this is, like, based on their idea of Australia. Like, I have such low expectations.
2: They must have done, so, they must have done a little bit. Like, yeah, they had, like, I, the two kinds of boomerangs. Yeah, they spent their time and, like, researching
3: boomerangs and kangaroos.
2: And, like, grubs, maybe. <laughs> I don't um, know. Was that Rena, like, Have legit? you eaten one of those know.
1: butter grubs?
2: Tastes like butter. It sounds good. I, I don't know.
3: I don't know if I would want to eat straight-up butter. Like, that doesn't really sound appetizing.
2: Butter is delicious.
3: <laughs> I mean, I love things that are really buttery, like butter on toast and, you know, really buttery mm. cookies. But straight-up butter doesn't really sound all that appetizing.
2: Certainly not a bowl full of it shaped like rubs. Yeah.
1: So, when I was in Mexico City, I had ant larva at a restaurant. And it did taste like butter. That was a resonant...
0: Huh.
1: I also tried cooking a cicada when the cicadas came to Maryland when I was 17 years old and I cooked it in butter. So it did taste like butter. (laughs) But I think that meant it tasted like nothing.
3: I've had some kind of fried worm once I went to China when I was a teen. I don't know what they had. It looked like fried worms and it didn't taste like butter. It kind of tasted like a weird kind of bread and it just, it definitely needed sugar. (laughs) Cinnamon sugar toast. Yeah, that would have been good.
2: <laughs> yeah. What was I just going to say? Completely. What oh. weird
1: stuff have you eaten? This is the, what the podcast is now.
2: What weird stuff have I eaten? <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know that there's anything really weird that I've eaten, but I was really bummed out that she didn't make a Lion King reference at that point. Like, Lion King had come out, like, what was it, 94? 94. Like It was, like, she definitely could have referenced slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. Also, it's not weird to eat ant larvae. They're great. I hope that we eat a lot of bugs in in the future because eating bugs is a good way to get. It protein. really
2: is. Yeah. After the apocalypse, yeah, we'll eat all the bugs.
1: Or hopefully, in order to prevent the apocalypse.
2: <laughs> that sounds even better. I like this plan. Yeah. Yami was so sad that she would need his his bugs. <laughs> okay. So this is where
1: I wanna I'm gonna stir the pot a little bit. Okay.
2: Great. Let's do Jenna, it.
1: You said that Cassie wasn't faced with any new moral or emotional journeys in this book but there is some new (laughs) emotional ground being being covered here in the budding sexual tension between teenagers cassie and yami
2: oh yeah it was blatant so the book wanted us to ship it but then it didn't do anything (laughs) with it she was like he reminded me of jake but I totally had to just get back to Jake, <laughs> like just like Jake, uh, not like Jake. And there was a thing where like their noses brushed, and she got all flustered. Like there was and definitely. She's some showing some
1: midriff <gasps> in her torn up leotard that Yami looks yes. at and blushes. know, I mean,
2: Rachel did that with Tobias in *Time of Dinosaurs*. We know that that's a flirtation method. So, yeah.
1: I I super super identify with teenager. Who's like steadyish with somebody like seeing a person and being like I'm attracted to this person and then being like oh, but I can't be <laughs> oh how could I leave you Jake you know like That, that the sense of inner turmoil, when it's like, it's no big deal to find Yami attractive. I'm sure he's a very attractive boy.
2: But she's not used to it. She's not used to finding other people attractive. Yeah,
1: but she. this is just being a teenager, Cassie. And I love this, like, down-to-earth, very real teen thing cropping up
2: Uh in this book the uh way it does. (laughs) It was a little bit of a bummer to me that they didn't do more with it. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe Yami comes back. I don't remember. It seems unlikely, but... Well, she does send him a postcard at the end. It's true.
1: Let's talk about the postcard.
2: (laughs) The secret postcard that she doesn't want anyone to know she's sending, even though it's totally innocent. Well, Is it innocent
1: if she's keeping it a secret, Jenny?
2: Well, no, that's the point. Like, it would be innocent if she was like, I just want to let these people know I'm alive. But I guess maybe they'd be like, no, that's a security risk. So maybe there's something there. Maybe that's why she's keeping it a secret. But it seems more like, he, the act of keeping it a secret makes it not innocent anymore. I mean, I
3: can see why she'd keep it a secret, you know, be careful about whether you can see it. I mean, I don't know whether any controllers would be looking at the mail and hoping to see Andalite Bandit signs. But, like, why keep it a secret That's from the rest of the team, reason I don't know. to
1: tell people. Yeah. I think it's because all Jake could think about when Cassie was gone is how do we find Cassie? <laughs> right? Like, he
2: turned into Batman. God. <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: And then, no, and then, and then coming back and like, he's like, oh, Cassie, let's just hang out together. It's so nice to be reunited. And he squeezes And then all hand. she can think about is like, I met a cute guy and I wasn't thinking about you that much because I was doing <laughs> surgery and stuff. And so like, she just doesn't want
2: to, she doesn't
1: want to bring it up. In front of Jake, I think she just doesn't want to yeah. tell Jake, and I that's why she she's keeping it a secret. If she
2: said anything about it out loud, they would be able to see that she was attracted to right, someone who right. wasn't Jake.
1: It, she she could play it off as no big deal, except that she feels so much guilt over it.
2: Yeah, a little ball of guilt wedged itself in my throat. While Jake had been ripping the city apart looking for me, I'd been taking boomerang lessons from someone else. Is that what
0: the kids are calling
2: it. <laughs> you <laughs> that is what the kids are calling it these days.
1: <laughs> uh, amazing.
2: Yes. And I also just I, I just I just want to read like this whole scene. This thing where he was sitting with one hand wrapped around his coke, and now he laid it flat on the table so that his fingertips were touching mine. He looked into my eyes. A little flip of hair fell down over his eyebrow. He totally has like the prince curl thing going oh, on. Oh yeah. Except you're back now, Cassie. So we won. We definitely won. And then he's like, he he looks at Rachel and Tobias, lowers his voice. I was kind of hoping we could hang out, you know, to talk. <laughs> talk? Rachel rolled her eyes. Please. He wants to give you a big, fat, sloppy kiss. You should have seen him. He was a total zombie the whole time you were gone. Yes.
1: So this is the moment. I think I brought this up in a Rachel Tobias discussion earlier. It might have not actually made the final cut of the podcast, but I was convinced there was some moment when Rachel and Tobias were like together at a table with Cassie and Jake. And I thought it was in the school cafeteria when like Rachel and Tobias were kind of like, almost, like, more together or comfortable with their their relationship than Cassie and Jake. And I think this is that moment where, like, yeah, like
2: Tobias is Tobias like, just yeah. kind
1: of, like, scoots up next to Rachel, and they're chilling here, and it's, like, no big deal. Rachel's obviously, like, come on, you guys should be kissing as much as Tobias, and I are kissing, and he's a bird. Like, come
2: on, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, I really liked, um, yeah, so Tobias, oh, Jake says, depends on your definition of zombie. and. Tobias is like, how's this for a definition? Someone who can't eat, can't sleep, spends every minute of the night and day searching the airport and all other known York hangouts and can only utter one intelligible sentence. I have to find her. <laughs> I just, I love that characterization of James. It's so sweet, it is, but sorry, I, charming. I mean, I also
0: like, I feel bad for him because this would, would have been really upsetting, but I do like the characterization of Tobias and Rachel as like, the established couple, um, which I think is a big change from the earlier parts of the series, and I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah, great. Well,
2: I mean, Rachel is part of the couple. Rachel is not Rachel is not shy in like any way. So.
1: Also, <laughs> while we're talking about established couples. <laughs> I feel like Marco and Axe are talking <laughs> like, talking to each other like they've been yes! together for a while. Yeah, like, do you want to read that Marco
3: part? is like, yes, do I, I do. Like, he, he's like wiping off Axe's face. He's like, do I need to start carrying baby wipes for you? Yes.
2: <laughs> that is what he says. It was amazing. And then he's like,
3: let me go buy you another box of popcorn. And he buys him and then they go the Bloomin' onion together. or whatever it is. Yep,
2: yep. <laughs>
1: The thing is, I feel like they've jumped way farther ahead in the relationship. (laughs) This is like, this is almost like old married couple. Like, oh, (laughs) you always get popcorn grease on your face. Am I going to have to start carrying around wipes, you know?
2: Maybe after... Okay, so we haven't had an Axe or Marco book in a while. In like four books. So, oh, I guess we did have Marco's perspective in 42. but, But maybe after... Ax and Marco clashed in forty about the like Andalite ableism. Maybe you know they really had it out with each other, and like that just brought them closer together. And now they're like doing some kind of dancing around each other. Like, uh,
1: no, it's, it's too much work <laughs> off screen. Marco would have thought about to it do
2: work off screen. He would have thought about
1: it in forty-two.
3: He
2: was sorry
1: to say
3: he
2: had rabies. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he wasn't in his
2: right mind. And before he had <clears throat> rabies, he was going to get rabies, and that affected. His anyway this book oh oh speaking of the postcards that
3: made me think of like this random thing but i don't know if you've ever i think it's uh the person who a person who guest starred in your podcast before like kate's or something like that um who like draws the pictures of the different andalites
2: oh yeah katie Yeah.
3: yeah i remember i've seen a drawing where like one theory was that like Andalites are sort of marsupial and carry their little babies in pouches, maybe. Mm. But the end of it kind of this, this, disproves uh, that because this
2: argue with that, yeah, <laughs> that's right.
3: Because then Axe is like, "Why, why is why does this animal have two heads?" And they're like, "No, she has a pouch." <laughs> and he's like, "Wow, that is like interesting. Is it effective? Like
2: a baby in a pouch." Huh. So, like,
3: <laughs> I guess Andalites can't be marsupial.
2: It does imply that strongly. This is right.
1: also a call. This is the callback to fourteen, where Visser Three thinks a decapitated <laughs> amusement park mascot has two. Oh heads. yeah. So Andalites <laughs> might just lean towards perceiving Earth creatures reality, as, as yeah. two-headed, when instead <laughs> nested, non you know biologically connected
2: yeah. heads
1: <laughs> are the real answer.
2: But it does seem like then Andalites are not used to nested non non biologically connected heads. Mm-hmm. So sorry, to, sorry to put
3: that fan theory to, to rest.
1: It's a really bad title for the episode, Jenny.
3: <laughs> oh, speaking of Visser 3 doing something like funny at the part at the end where he was, um, you know, doing the countdown, like you must come out in three minutes and two minutes and one minute. And I was thinking, I was like, does he mean one of your minutes? Like what minutes is he referring to?
1: <laughs> That's so true.
2: I don't know if you're with that. They think of all minutes as their minutes.
3: Do Andalites have minutes? <laughs>
2: Um. You know, unclear. We should check angelite chronicles. Maybe someone will. Maybe talk. it's just one of those universal translations. Does
3: elfingor
1: say two of your hours in the first book? Oh,
3: I, I feel know. like maybe he does. Well, I don't know. I mean, he wouldn't necessarily say two of your hours because he sort of considers it like been a shared, Earth.
2: consider oh, culture. Yeah, time.
1: that's true. Yeah.
2: So
3: anyway, <laughs> what do we want to talk about next? Can we talk about geography? Yes, please. Oh, sure. Let's let's talk about how a person who is flying from California, presumably like LA or San Francisco, something like that, flying to Sydney, Mm -hmm. manages to end up in the Northern Territory of Australia.
0: Yep. What a great question.
3: So I don't know if anybody has looked at a map of Australia, but Australia is really big. Australia is just as wide as the United States. And the Northern Territory, particularly the area that they refer to in this book around um Eerss Rock or how I don't know how you say it uh, is right in the middle of Australia so a plane managing to get over that part of Australia while trying to fly to Sydney is really really lost. That would be flying from like Florida to New York and then accidentally falling somewhere in Colorado like
1: <laughs> yeah
2: well the Yerkes were interfering. okay but that's with the like six hours lot. of like
3: flight time interference like that's a long way yeah. to get lost.
1: Do you think that the Yerkes tractor beam? freezes the plane relative or in absolute space so the earth continues turning <laughs> below it because that's the only way that makes sense and it's pretty cool. even
3: so i hope i hope that that plane like managed to make it back without like running out of fuel that's a long way to get messed up
2: that plane was in a lot of trouble that just is true generally yeah they were all burned all their luggage was lost Wait
1: wait where in, is she so didn't have is, any
2: coffee left
1: is cassie kangarooing to a specific like place or is it just like town where she can make a phone it's
3: just call? like a town, town like a slightly bigger okay, yeah. town than the outstation
1: it's not like she was going from um Luru to sydney
3: no
2: i should in hope one not.
1: afternoon of kangarooing that's a few thousand kilometers yeah
2: Okay, so another question about traveling across Australia. So there's this whole thing where, like, she wants to get to town immediately because the grandfather is going to die of, you know, gangrene. And Yami's like, no, you have to wait until sundown because kangaroos wouldn't cross the desert in this. In this that heat. is accurate. And, okay, but she has a bird more. True. Would the bird not be faster or, like, be able to fly in this? I, Cassie wasn't like, thinking this, that far ahead. Thermals would be really effective in this kind of heat. You would think they
1: would be. Are they in a in a desert? I Are don't thermals know. Good? It is kind like, of an arid I mean, territory. Vultures, like vultures in deserts, is a thing, but I don't know if that's like in the middle of a desert. And I do remember, and I, I like not based on animal facts, but in this book, when she morphs a bird and is flying before she becomes a flea, uh-huh. she had there's some paragraph about how like she. She has to work really hard as a bird well, in this environment. Well,
3: it's not that she had to work so hard just as a bird in that environment. It's because she was flying so low and couldn't soar
2: properly. Oh yeah, she was. Doing oh, like she was flying basin. low. Yeah, got it, got
1: yeah. it, got it. Okay, that makes yeah, the sense. So never not, not, mind. Not so yeah, she, should, she should be meter. a bird.
2: Yeah, so it's like especially if you need to go during the day, just morph osprey yeah. and
3: yeah.
1: But she's in Australia and there's a kangaroo on the coast. So
2: yeah, she has oh. to morph
3: kangaroo. <laughs> but it is accurate that, that a kangaroo so would have to travel at night because temperatures. In that, that part of the year, that time of the day can be, you know, 110, 120. It's hot.
2: Yeah. It's definitely unrealistic to me, though, that Cassie wouldn't be like, oh, this is an urgent situation where, like, I just cut off your grandfather's life <laughs> and he needs medical help. I'm going to try to fly to this Base or whatever, as a bird, even if maybe it's not the best choice. Mm-hmm. Like this is Cassie we're talking yeah. about. She
1: yeah, she went of risk- back
2: for the Marines.
1: What kind of risk taker <laughs> won't cross the desert as a kangaroo?
2: As an osprey. I mean, I'll I will I will take it that like maybe this is the wrong time for kangaroos, but like be a bird. Yeah.
3: And if you're worried about being an American bird, be an Australian bird.
2: Yeah, there are plenty an of an like Australosprey, crows, or
3: magpie. Don't morph a magpie. Actually, they would probably be very aggressive. But plenty of other, like, you know, ravens or whatever.
2: Okay. I'm going to keep this in mind if I end up in Australia with morphing powers. Funny story. uh, Out of all the dangerous things that people
3: talk about, you know, spiders, snakes, or whatever, it was the magpies that I had problems with. They tried to attack me twice. They did not like my bicycle helmet. They're
1: they're swoopers. Yes, they are.
2: And they are not shy about it. Did you have trouble with spiders? Cassie doesn't meet any spiders.
3: I was very surprised about her walking barefoot in the bush in high summer. I was like, "Mm, yep, you're totally
2: dead. You've you've stepped on
3: a spider. You've stepped on a snake. You're dead.
2: Okay. Yeah. These books are all about like educating people about animals. And they didn't mention the dangers of the spiders (laughs) and the snakes in Australia. I mean, I didn't see very very many.
3: I didn't see any snakes or only one spider when I was there, but I was in like very urban areas. I was not out in the bush.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, you hear things about spiders in Australia.
0: There are songs and stories. Yeah. I did love the kangaroo pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. the animal facts, as usual, some of my favorite parts. And there were some great things about kind of how they leap and their family units and the difference between the boomers and the does and stuff. Like, I really liked mm-hmm. the animal facts in this one.
3: Yeah. And they, and it is accurate that kangaroos are that dangerous. Yes, they... Yeah.
1: They will hurt people. (laughs) Kangaroos are really cool animals. They are. And, like, kind of scary. It's, like, similar in the way that, like, once you get to know dolphins, they're scary. Like, kangaroos Mm -hmm. are also kind of terrifying when you
3: think about them. But then then when they're tiny, they're so cute and, like, fluffy
2: and you love to, like, pet their ears. Aww.
1: And then they lure you into a pond and kick you and drown you.
2: Do they do that?
1: That's what the kangaroos were doing.
2: Oh, well, yes. Okay. But they don't (laughs) do that to, like, people normally? (laughs) Just checking. I mean,
3: normally people aren't invading their, like, their herd territories, you know. And I bet
2: very few people shoot at them with dracon beams.
3: Probably not.
2: Yeah, Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They've learned their lesson.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sorry, are there more things we want to say about Australia first? Oh, I guess one
3: thing that I thought was kind of funny was when um, Yami thought it was funny when Cassie was like, Am I in South Dakota or South Something Dakota? And he was like, South Dakota, you are lost. And I'm like, Okay, no Australian knows what what South Dakota is. Like they know maybe four states. They know they know California, they know Texas, maybe they know DC, maybe Florida and New York. They don't know South Dakota. Maybe he's
2: like, We're in the north of Australia. You're very lost.
1: But this is up there with like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight as like Not Cassie. figuring
2: out S Y D. Like I can get like <laughs> Cassie maybe just has blanking a, on has that. a really
1: bad brain fart, like.
2: But then at the end when she's finally like, Oh, it's Sydney, I was like, You didn't figure that out a hundred pages ago? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. When you realised you were in Australia when Yeah, that should have been the giveaway. little you more than a little bit of The Sydney thing. I I definitely was... I definitely was channeling some, like, 42 Wallaby way or whatever it is. (laughs) So it was definitely weird to have a book where it's only Cassie. And the the book seemed aware of that. Like, there were multiple times when Cassie was in a situation and she was like, here's what Marco would say. Here's what Rachel would say. (laughs) I was like... I can imagine Cassie say, thinking that. Like, that, yeah. that yeah. feels believable. But I was also like, oh, the author was like, this is when we need a Marco remark. This is when we need a Rachel remark. Darn it.
3: Okay, like, we a just remark. need to bring the other team members in so that a new reader isn't
2: lost yeah, as so to who these cool people are. It was also funny to me that it was only Marco and Rachel that that happened with. Like, it happened several times. And it was only the two of them. Like, she missed Jake. And she missed the others like Tobias and Axe, but like it was Marco and Rachel who like they needed the lines of dialogue. And I was like, yeah, I guess they are the ones who have that sort of. Um, I guess they talk the most. Irreplaceable speaking personas. In the group. also
1: so I read it. I, I get what you're saying. Like as a writer, you want to have these dynamics, and it's like this isn't a very Cassie thing. So I, like <laughs> I get that, but I it, I totally bought it as these are the two people in the group who's like who she respects the most or like wants to, wants to hold up as like people she should be like. Right. So she admires Rachel's courage Marco? and she, she admires Marco's like planning sense. Right.
2: Okay. That, that is true. She does admire that. I mean, I feel like Jake would be the person she admires and, the most. And but. I think
1: the thing like Marco, she's Cassie's the first person to doubt herself. Right. And, and she thinks she, I mean, like, we were sort of saying sometimes she doesn't think through consequences. Totally true. But Mm -hmm. she always feels this guilt and she's like, oh, am I making the right choice? I'm indecisive. So it totally makes sense to me that she would, she's heard Marco say, come on, Cassie, get with the program. (laughs) It totally makes sense that she would use that as like a way of talking to herself Mm -hmm. in this kind of situation. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Sort of, she's externalized her planning abilities into uh, Marco's voice. Or she's internalized Marco's planning abilities. (laughs) I really liked the thing at the end where Cassie's talking about how the Chi was impersonating her. Uh, Next time he fills in for me, he needs to turn his brilliance down a notch. He aced my algebra test and now my parents think I'm some kind of math genius. My mom wants to enroll me in accelerated calculus next semester. She says I haven't been living up to my potential. Your mother can't even imagine how infinite your potential is, Rachel commented. It was just just like such a nice supportive thing for Rachel to say. Mm Mm-hmm. It was so lovely. I also
1: love that because I think to Rachel, that was nothing.
2: Yeah, she's right. like, your mother can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She just thinks these things about her friends all the time. Says them out loud. Yeah. Uh,
1: amazing. I she's love these so kids. confident
2: for herself and also for all her friends. Yep. And Cassie's like, I don't know. I think I made the wrong decision like 12 times. And Rachel's like, no, you're great.
0: Accurate. Yes.
2: Yes. We had another reference to Tobias's torture. Yes,
0: in this. that is yeah, definitely one of the things on my list.
2: Um, which was a fascinating perspective on it. Cassie says, no matter what happened, they couldn't take me alive. Tobias had been captured, and I knew some of the horror he faced. The physical torture, the mind games, the hallucinations. He didn't talk about it much. Tobias was strong, tough, hardened by his time as a hawk, but they'd almost broken him. And then she's like, "They can't take me alive. I could not take it." And I just maybe some of this is Cassie doubting herself, but I also love the like credit she's giving to Tobias for being mm-hmm. so strong that if they even almost broken him, like that, like that really tells you how bad your torture mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Just, just such a nice reflection on like he's off here thinking like I'm weak. Oh no, I'm still haunted by this torture. And Cassie's over here being like, "Wow, Tobias is the strongest." And it's just, yeah. It is really mm-hmm. nice. Really
0: nice. I hope she tells him that.
2: It's actually, it is like an exact mirror of what I think Tobias thinks about Cassie in Megamorphs 1 when she when he's like, yeah, she was going to fly off alone and try to do this super dangerous thing. And this was the girl who thought she was a coward. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how little people know themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's true for both That's of
1: them. That's a good callback. Yeah. Yeah, good
2: point is what comes of having read the books many, many times.
1: <laughs> do we want to talk about the morphing magic that happens at the beginning?
2: I think we do. Yeah, sure. Fine. I think whatever. Gray might want to talk about the morphing magic. <laughs> Aren't you excited that Cassie did morphing magic?
0: You know what? That is a really good point. I am because I am definitely going to take <laughs> it as I get to check this off my list.
1: Exactly. What I love about this morphing magic is how truly horrifying it is. Because it's she's so like
0: horrible. Yeah,
1: she's like I'm just gonna demorph, but I can't demorph enough that they know I'm human. So I'm just gonna be a, a giant like seagull-shaped blob that's like hobbling around the airport. She's it's like, so I just amazing. need to
2: demorph, like, specifically my arms or whatever Yeah, doing. It's,
1: I just, I absolutely love, I, just, I love it. It's such a great use of morphing I magic.
0: I I really truly cannot imagine what this looked like. And it's, it's gotta be horrifying.
1: Yikes. I, <laughs> I really think this is like an Animorphs tie-in or something, but I want to sit down with um, the two of you and watch The Thing. Because <laughs> um, that is a movie about morphing horror. That's just
0: amazing. what it's about. I do. She she refers to this as so. She's a a small. I don't know. She's like part gull, part girl. She says, "I was more gull than girl, a weird mix of fluffy wings and pure horror." The Blair Muppet Project. I laughed so hard. <laughs> yes!
2: This is my favorite '90s Amazing. reference of this. Yeah, it's
1: really good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Actually, the
3: morphing magic didn't quite go the way I thought it was going to go. Like. I yeah. didn't remember what it was, how the scene went. The, you know, upon rereading it, I totally thought she was just going to morph her wing back to her arm and then morph straight back to the wing, and like just fix oh, it that yeah. way. That's how I, I thought it was going to go. But instead, she yeah, was so, Gold Girl.
0: Yeah, that would have been smart.
2: Do you want to hear something else really disturbing that was a passage in this book? Great. I know you do. So the taxons <laughs> are in the water. One of them has just been slashed open, possibly by Cassie. I can't remember. Their rabid hunger zeroed in on their mangled comrade. The yerks inside their heads, powerless to stop them. The taxons ripped into their fallen colleague. I like how now it's like a coworker. I guess that's true. The wounded taxon himself turned and, with his last dying breath, slurped, slurped up, up his up own, his own guts. guts.
3: Yes, that was one of the oh, three cringy moments I had.
0: No. <laughs>
3: What were the other two? Oh, the other one was when a taxon popped like a pimple, which I feel like is a description Mm -hmm. that's happened before. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, the other one was um, with Cassie, when she was the polar bear in the cargo hold, and she's trying not to get sucked out of the cargo door, and she's digging her claws in, and at one point, uh, there's muscles and tendons ripping in the bear leg. Having torn a muscle, that is a very visceral, like memory and that made me that actually yeah, out exactly. of all the things i've read and all the animorphs books that was the first time that i cringed when reading an animorphs passage and i'm like oh is this how gray feels all it the is. time i'm sorry <laughs> Gray like that.
2: that's how i felt with the taxon slurping Ooh. up his own guts how how did you feel gray about the grandfather's injury oh
0: i also very much enjoyed that just as much as i enjoy most of these descriptions
1: that was very gory. Yeah, like, it really was. Baseball-sized infection, uh, and
0: the, about to explode. Pinching
1: the blood vessel.
2: That was impressive. She, I, the thing where she morphed hork to amputate his leg was so cool. She that was sanitizes
1: her Hork-Bajir blades. Yeah. yeah. Amazing.
2: yeah. <laughs> I was amazing. Also,
1: but wouldn't it be super sanitary? Like, aren't you always really, really clean when you morph for the first time?
2: You I don't know think, because you know what—you don't want to take risks.
1: No, no, I, I'm just curious <laughs> about how clean you are.
2: Well, I don't know because, like,
3: when you you know if you're if you're morphing an exact copy of whatever you're morphing, would does it pick up the bacteria that's on the creature no. when you acquire it?
2: So I would say no. I mean, there's this whole like gut biome thing that is really like a shadowy area of the morphing technology. It really doesn't reflect on that. But like you, if you acquire someone wearing clothes, you don't morph them wearing those clothes. Like I think that the other creatures that are attached to it at the time, you wouldn't get them. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question is, if there was dirt on Cassie's body when she morphed. Does that dirt go to Z-space or does it stay on the thing she's morphing? We've seen them morph away from poison. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw in 41 that some of the blood stayed on Jake's leg. It seems to be like a sometimes yes, sometimes no thing. Yeah. So maybe she just couldn't count on it.
0: Better safe safe than than sorry. sorry. Jinx. (laughs) You owe me a soda.
2: (laughs) To go buy her a soda now. <laughs> but stay six feet away.
0: Yeah, I'll sanitize
2: it and then toss it.
1: It might have to be a tab.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just put it on Grace tab. I
1: it have makes. a non-Cassie thing. Do okay. people want to... Is there more Cassie stuff?
2: I mean, probably, but what's your non-Cassie? Okay, thing?
1: so can we talk about the, the mission that they're on at the beginning?
0: Oh, so yeah. So one
1: thing, I actually love Cassie... Screws it up, Uh, not to be too mean to Cassie, but like they're on a mission and Jake is like, okay, no mission over, like let's abort, right? Like we don't usually see, we get like the in media arrests and morphs are doing a mission and then Jake's like, actually not worth it, whatever, let the irks have this one, they can Mm -hmm. bolt the bug fighter." Mm -hmm. Like this is them being aggressive to try and let the government learn about aliens, right? And they're like, okay, whatever, it's not worth the risk anymore, we're going to abort. So I think that's super fascinating. But this whole thing where they're like, one, maybe it would be good if the government knew about aliens. But two, this like the Marines have this like bug fighter thing. So like, what do they think is going on? And then it's ambiguous at the end what actually happens to the I Marines so and the bug fighters. So that like, passage. is this something that comes up later that I don't remember, or is this like, is it just like another dangling thread? Like, I'm really curious what the, I don't know. If you guys made anything of that. It's
2: weird that they want the government to know about aliens. They have an alien they could show to the government. (laughs) It's not like they're scrounging for evidence. So I'm a little confused by that. I was also very confused by this thing where Jake, I think, is saying, the Marines dropped the armored truck guys off in the parking lot of some roadside tourist attraction. World's biggest ball of gum wrappers, Rachel. And nobody's seen the Marines or the trucks since. Jake side. so I guess that one was a tie Na- NASA doesn't have the chunk of Bugfighter but neither do the Yurks. is he implying that the Animorphs destroyed them like there's no way that's what he's implying but like what else is he saying
1: I think he's saying two marines stole a piece of the Bugfighter and are hiding in the mountains what that's what I think he's saying I don't understand Amazing. it
2: though but why yeah so they just ran off with it because they were so traumatized yeah, cuz Marines
3: are definitely known for getting traumatized by shootouts.
1: Like is one I mean, of them? They probably are. Is but, one yeah. of them secretly Visser 1? Like what? Is, like, I don't understand <laughs> Visser how it's five the time
2: is here. It's Visser
1: 5. Yeah, it's Visser 5.
2: Yeah, I, I have no idea what happened there. Did the cheese I mean, steal them?
1: I wouldn't oh. be surprised if there was like a Marine related subplot that comes up in a couple of books that I just don't remember yeah. where it's like, oh, like the same with the antimorphing ray, they had a couple mm-hmm. of books in a row, right? Yeah. So maybe it's a continuity thing I don't remember, but it's a really weird, ambiguous Mm -hmm. note to end on. (laughs)
2: Yeah, It was also, like, I was a little bit disoriented by the beginning. It didn't, like, usually they try to orient you really quickly, and I feel like the books have been doing less of that. Like, we were about a quarter of the way through before she was like, oh, yeah, and uh, my name is Cassie, but you probably knew that. (laughs) I did flag that. And, I mean, it was kind of fun to be in the middle of the action, but it was also, like, We've seen a lot, actually, and this is probably, like, the war is getting serious, uh, not that it hasn't always been serious, but, like, we've seen a lot of, like, opening intense battles instead of opening capers. Mm-hmm. I guess Tobias's was a little more caperish. The rest of the book was really dark. Um, but in Megamorphs 4 and in 41 and in 42, even, which was such a light book, but they're, like, destroying portable Candronas, which would be a huge problem. And now they're in this, like, shootout in the airport. Like, it's not you know it's not the uh oh no some muggers in an alley unrelated to the yurks kind of opening caper type stuff yeah they're escalating
3: hey you mentioned the chi at one point can i talk about or can we talk about how unhelpful the chi are oh please like
2: it's my favorite thing to talk about let's do
3: it because like okay so you have this piece of of metal that might be from a bug fighter and you need to see like if it is or if it isn't or you know get it away from them or not I don't know but that seems like very much an infiltration sort of thing that'd be great for you know the Chi who have holograms to just like waltz on up and like take a look when nobody's looking rather than like a battle scenario and it was like oh the Chi told us about it and then just let us you know handle it as they do
1: just hologram it so that it looks invisible they'll be like oh the end of like bandit stole it and then after they leave you can just take it
2: or I still love the idea that like the Chi are always calling like Jake with like suggestions and and Jake's always like oh she just keep calling it's just so annoying they keep wanting to do all this stuff <laughs> and,
3: and then they were, were like, like oh I guess we'll be helpful decisions. at the end and go rescue Cassie and save her and I was like oh now now you want to do something you'll stow away on a blade ship and travel around the world to go so save cool. Cassie but you won't like Lord I so go to an airport ship. yeah. I mean, that was very smart. I was like, why couldn't you do that earlier? You know, at the airport. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is a complaint that I, have I don't made know. multiple times, and everyone is sick of hearing it. But one more time, the people in the back, <laughs> the chi are useless. And I have to believe that if... So their programming does not allow them to do violence, And mm-hmm. what their actions tell me is that... It is a very, it is very specifically their programming that is keeping them from doing violence, because if this were a a strong belief in pacifism, for example, I would assume Mm -hmm. that they would be more helpful because telling Mm -hmm. the, the telling animals, Hey, there's this thing you should go check out. It's in the middle of an airport and there are some Marines and the Yerks are after you. It's directly causing violence because now the animorphs are there, knocking off Hork-Bajir. It's indirectly it's indirectly causing, causing violence. violence. <laughs> so, so like
3: it's like half the yes, first wall. Like
0: they, it must be just because they are programmed. It's not that they believe in pacifism because then they would be more actively trying to help with the holograms.
1: Great, that's an excellent point. That's a really, really good point.
2: Ted is making a face. He has some thoughts about this but he I apparently... Can't, I can't share the rest not of thoughts, sharing. but
1: I really like that observation, Greg. We'll return to this at some point.
2: I mean, we have already seen... I don't know what Ted's talking about, so I'm going to keep talking. Uh, we have already seen Eric, like, want to be actively part of the battle, and then he couldn't handle the amount of physical damage that he himself was capable of doing. But it does seem like he at least has a conflicted relationship with pacifism, and there were definitely other Chi who were sort of of his party, even though there were others who were like, no, the Chi shouldn't get involved in this. It seems like they're definitely split. So you're right that it's more programming than actual pacifism.
3: It just irks me that they're just like, they've become the um, the constant plot contrivances. It's like, we need to know about this new thing that happened. Um, How
2: will the Animorphs find out? I know, the Chi told them. Like, yeah but they're like not being yeah. used to their full plot potential because yeah. it's a middle grade book so the teenagers have to do all the stuff yeah and they don't have quite strong enough plot reasons for why the chi can't do it and so it's like a little bit i did yeah, also I though really yeah.
0: like the other way that the animators found out about this thing uh which is part part of it is that the chi told them no. about it and part of it is that Marco and Axe found a piece of information on a Defense Department site in an encrypted top-secret
2: memo to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Axe's WikiLeaks. (laughs) I love Hollywood hacking. amazing. (laughs) It takes way more than a security clearance and a secret code to defeat Axe. Oh, and then, like, he wasn't even
3: actively searching for it. You know, his just program just found it.
2: Yeah, his Web Watch program. So he must be getting all sorts of like top secret alerts about like weird stuff. He must get all the UFO sightings. Marco must love it. This is <laughs> Ted, this is what they've bonded over. This yeah. is yeah. Well, you're
1: right. Yep. They built a web watch tool together.
2: And Marco got excited about alien conspiracy theories and ax got excited about possible actual aliens and didn't quite understand that Marco wasn't serious about it. But you know, they've been <laughs> you guys, vibing about guys, When this. Marco
0: grows up, he's gonna be the aliens guy from the meme from the History Channel.
3: <laughs> I haven't seen that meme. I'll have to look I it up. Sent,
0: I don't know it yeah. either. We'll, put, we'll it put it in the in episode,
2: episode notes. Notes. Excellent.
0: But that's what Mark was going to be when he grows up.
2: This is why in Megamorphs part, where he's like, I don't believe in conspiracy theories or whatever. And I was like, false. You did.
1: <laughs> okay, right. So I had, what if, and there's no evidence for this in the book, so bear with me. What if the Chi are actually helping a lot and part of the reason why the Yerks seem so incompetent
2: <laughs> is there's actually
1: a long campaign uh, of pacifistic Chi sabotage that I is like going that on Amazing. to undermine Viscer 3. But of course they can't do everything because their programming binds them. Uh-huh. So their their resources are really thin. I so whenever the, the animorphs, whenever the Animorphs get in trouble and the, the Chi have to fill in, that's actually hurting the war effort a lot because it's not <laughs> like the Chi are just hanging out with their dogs all day. They're uh-huh. doing surveillance uh-huh. and... Sabotage. Interesting.
2: Right.
1: I do so. Um, Lourdes is the Chi from twenty seven.
2: Yeah, the one that, who was that Rachel the rescued. woman. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we we've seen her before.
3: Yeah. Oh, speaking of seeing her before, that made me um, curious about something um, as to whether the android form of the Chi has any sort of like visual distinction between from one to another because. Um, because Cassie sees her while inside the hologram and is like, "I recognized her as Lourdes that I'd seen before." And then she put her human hologram on, and I was like, "Wait, you could
2: tell just from the android form that it was the well, yeah, y- Chi you'd seen before." But she didn't see her with the hologram on because in twenty seven their holograms were broken. So they, she must be recognizable. They must all be recognizable. So they must have like distinctive, yeah. like so they're yeah, all
1: unique Chi bodies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. so. Huh.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Jenny, tell us
2: more about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any more about that than you do. I don't know why I would. Um, I do like the theory that uh, that the Qi are, are sabotaging the Yurks, because that would explain why they couldn't use their tractor beams usually, because the Chi presumably break them all the time. <laughs> and also why they don't usually use this incredibly good motion sensor technology where mm-hmm. they can see if anything's moving in like, an entire... But not
1: whether it's a human hole. or not. <laughs>
2: No, only only motion. They can only <laughs> sense motion. So the Yerks were very good in this, unusually good in this. But this thing at the end where they're, like, having this incredibly vicious battle, uh, the Texans and the kangaroos and the, like, native peoples, and, like, there's just so much going on. And uh, and then two tourists fly in, like, their planes are coming in. And Vista is like, call it all off erase all the evidence i was like wouldn't he just shoot the, the tourist planes like he's not afraid of collateral damage this felt like it felt like a cheat it like did not make battle. Any sense. it didn't feel quite grounded well he couldn't
3: you know. capture their planes because you know the tractor beam had been destroyed so what can you do
2: <laughs> shoot them down apparently you can shoot down you know a
0: handheld yeah strictly. just handheld you can track shoot them. down
2: a bug fighter so although
0: that did make me think that it- Australia has not yet been infested.
2: Or at least not the Northern Territory. Well, they probably don't have, it's like, so it's so far, they probably don't have a Candrona there. Yeah. They probably haven't infested it. So the Animorphs could recruit any number Mm -hmm. of Australians to their side. They wouldn't want to, because they were traumatized by David, but yeah.
1: Is David Australian?
2: Yes. They never mentioned the accent because they don't mention accents in these books. (laughs) good to know i so this was um random fun fact this was the book where i learned the phrase no worries oh i remember hearing it like reading it in this book and being like what a weird phrase who would say that really i say that all not the time the lion King? i don't well, but it means it's no an worries dependent phrase there like it means no worries for the rest of your days it's not like they just go around being like no worries i guess <laughs> There's actually a
3: slightly more slangy version which I'm sorta of sad they didn't bring up but uh but it goes she'll be right. And that's oh. like but like no worries yeah, is still a thing that they might say. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Now I say that all the time. So,
0: you know. I mean fun. I used to say it all the time, but now I
1: don't <laughs> because <laughs> because of now this you book? have
2: worries? Yeah. Oh. Wait, which one? Because it's
0: twenty twenty. <laughs> oh, okay, yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> Not because of this book. Good.
0: No, just no worries is no longer an accurate statement of anything ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, going back to the Yurks actually being competent, I did love the thing where, like, you know, there was this piece of the bugfighter that had caused this problem for um, Yami's family, and Cassie was like, oh, all this trouble over a piece of metal, and she was, you know, having all sorts of feelings, and it so it was already playing this really strong role. And it was sort of representative of the problem she caused them. And then the Yorks show up and you're like, oh, crap, of course they can trace these like alien metals. Mm. And it was just a really great like move. I didn't expect that because like, you know, I could already I could see the other reasons why the Bug Theater piece was there. And so it was very exciting to uh, have the Yerks track it as they should have.
1: It was a it was like a pretty well written fluffy book, right? Yeah. Like more so than the other fluffy books. Like just it
2: wasn't funny, though.
1: It wasn't funny. That's true.
2: Yeah, just, like, the three three funny lines. (laughs) What are the three funny lines?
3: Well, the South something Dakota. um, (laughs) I like that. South uh,
0: of your Dakota.
3: (laughs) I like how they um, have finally decided that they're going to enroll Marco in driver's ed after he can't drive the baggage (laughs) cart.
0: The driving thing was very funny. See, they are 15. Yeah. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. She's finally old enough to, like. Get enrolled. Marco oh, may man. even be sixteen. The, the driving stuff—he's still very short, though I'm sure. The driving stuff. So Ted and I just watched the first four Fast and Furious movies, and uh, I, I definitely felt like this book was channeling channeling some of that only <laughs> driving skill whatsoever. I'm excited for Marco to uh, get to see those movies in the 2000s.
1: Was there one more funny line?
3: Um, I thought it was Rachel's thing at the at the end, where she was so excited about Cassie wanting to go shopping, and then Cassie went looking for a <laughs> postcard, and she was like. Postcard
1: is zoo. not
2: <laughs>
3: shopping.
1: <laughs> I love that. So Repeat
2: good. after me, Cassie. <laughs> I also love the line where Axe was eyebrow deep in a box of popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> That's such an image. I Just love all the way up there.
1: The Axe moment in the beginning. So Axe is a cheetah when they're at the airport mm-hmm. because they they think there are too many civilians to have him in Andalite form,
2: and they don't want civilians to find out about aliens, right? Right. Wait. wait.
1: (laughs) Um, So, acts as a cheetah uses his cheetah tail to whip a controller, and then he's like, "This is not a very effective thing, you know, way to fight." Which is just tail is useless. And he gives like he gives like a disgruntled meow. Also, I I love I love everything about that. That was cute. His tail fighting instincts in cheetah form. It's it's great.
2: So good.
3: But apparently, cheetahs have really strong paws because Ax just knocks out a controller, you know, with a tap on the head from his paw because that happens.
1: Also, hork have really weak necks because apparently you can. Oh yeah,
2: that can... dog. Well, oh the dog.
1: <laughs> There's no, that's we haven't actually
2: talked about the dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, the, one the
1: boomerang. of the absolute best things I was talking about the boomerang that like half severs a hork neck. Oh. But the dog Yami has a dog who successfully. Frightens a horkbajir controller <laughs> Hork-Badier into Hork-Badier runs away. running away. And it's
2: like a puppy, right? Yeah, he's not even fully grown.
1: But it's so relatable. Like <laughs> dogs can be scary sometimes. It's so great, and like sometimes the horkbajir controller is going to be like, you know what? Biscuitry's going to call this off for a dumb reason real soon.
2: <laughs> I don't need to deal with
1: this scary exactly. little dog anymore. That, yes, of the I love
0: that, that. Made me laugh about mm-hmm. that was. We have two cats, one of whom is a 17-pound part Maine Coon, formerly feral rescue cat, who has calmed down immensely mm-hmm. in the many years that we have had him, but who has <laughs> is basically a terror. And the only time we've ever seen him afraid <laughs> is the time that he was introduced to a baby golden doodle. Oh. <laughs> the golden nugget, I think is what they called him, but he was like Five pounds of fluff oh, oh my and eyes, God. and Toothless took one look at him and went screaming in the other direction, <laughs> refused to come out, and would like peer in oh, the corner boy. to see if the dog was gone. Hilariously funny. So, that is what that one might
1: be. Oh. oh, I love that. That's, That's
3: adorable.
2: <laughs> uh, what other things did I have? Oh, we sort of already talked about Jake and Cassie. But I just, I really loved the thing where she, she's like, I've been wondering. I wasn't sure I even wanted to ask this. Does anyone know? I mean, did anybody see what happened to the Marines? Jake asked. I nodded. Yeah. How did you? He shrugged. You're you, Cassie. It was just so nice. He really knows her. He knows she cares what happens to the Marines. Yeah, and so
1: like, and I've given Jake a hard time about sort of the way he, externalizes Cassie as his conscience and like maybe she's more like uh you know an object like the perfect thing he can return to after the war is over or whatever but like he's really worked up when she's gone and it's clear that there's like a yeah. real connection there. That's
3: I wonder really if this nice. is like a reference to 41 as well like where he didn't ask oh. her about how she was feeling after the battle and like you know she was really upset and so like I now she's yeah, yeah
1: yeah.
2: I I hope that they spent some really good time together after 43 dealing with uh, the aftermath of what she what she had to do there. Mm -hmm. I hope I hope he helped her process that.
1: Well, this is yeah, this is the last thing that I want to say that's like, uh, I don't know, other than like funny stuff that we're going to get to. But (laughs) it's really dawned on me in the course of this conversation that I feel like 43 and 44 are really kicking off a like an arc for Cassie. Like, I feel like this a is, lot. well, I don't, I don't want to really say, okay. I don't really want to say more, but I feel like, I feel like she kind of stagnated for a while in the middle of the series, but mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of like a, a restatement of her identity and yeah, the how she's come.
3: Were weak for her. Yeah. yeah.
1: But like, but like the decision in the last book where she's like, this isn't okay. And here where she's kind of like, I'm the risk taker. I'm like the person who, you know, I'm willing to go against, the group sometimes but like but
2: she's still doubting herself but she, all, with all right like things. it feels
1: yeah. like it's like turning a new page and i think i like there are co- i think there are a couple of things that in retrospect tie back to these books more like i thought yeah i, thought, I think the, i know like, what you're talking 30s, about the late 30s early 40s i i thought were like almost totally disposable but i feel yeah. like you know this is like this is like an arc for cassie's that started yeah like, mm-hmm. and, and maybe i'll be wrong but i think we'll be able to talk about it more yeah mm-hmm. going forward
2: Oh. I do kind of want to call the books out for like they're they're doing a good job showing the the necessary inconsistency of Cassie's moral decisions like she doesn't want to shoot the woman on the plane and then she does have to shoot the bug fighter because there's no other way to to survive and she, you know, she's trying not she's like trying any method she can to like not have to make these difficult decisions but sometimes she has to and she has to like figure out how to live with Mm -hmm. that i did feel like it was a little bit of a cheat that like oh the human woman she figures out a way not to have to kill but like the aliens oh she has to kill them like i feel like we've seen that as a pattern where like human life is valued more than these alien lives even though like even though we've seen like these aliens have been very humanized, for lack of a better word. And and I feel like part of it is like very understandable on like the part of the kids, like they would value humans more because they are humans and um but I feel like another part of it is just like, okay, well we don't want to show them killing humans in the book. We'll show them killing these aliens. And it's a little yeah. bit like yeah. middle grade violence, like a lot of I do war. think
0: that um That the the narrative does that, but Cassie, um, doesn't. So there's actually, there was a great moment that I really appreciated where Mm -hmm. she, when she's, uh, she's just left the, the plane and is hiding as a flea in the desert and she is remembering the two Hork-Bajir who died falling out of the, the cargo hold, um, and she says, they didn't deserve it. Um look looked like death on two legs, but they're a simple species, innocent and trusting. Um, they're vegetarians, gentle, nature-loving vegetarians, and I'd killed four of them in less than a day. And, like, two of them were on accident, but two of them weren't. And she really does think about, you know, how meaning to kill them for her is different than killing them in battle or killing them by accident.
2: Yeah, though I still feel like that description of them is still a little bit. I mean, it's very othering, and it's a little condescending. Like, it, it's clear she values them, but it doesn't feel like they're. It's rising to the level of like, I killed two like fair enough humans. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just being hard no, on her.
1: I think no. There's uh, there's definitely something to. I want to add to both of your points. So like, the the thing I was thinking I, when I was recounting the books that this calls back to, right? She shared a brain with a hork and been to the Hork-Bajir yeah. homeworld, right? And, like, I guess that book was kind of forgettable in the scope of the series. But, like, yeah, she should definitely have more empathy. Yeah. right. She should
2: have more immediate horror, like, for the two yeah, that yeah, are yeah. sucked out of the plane. Right, right, yeah. right,
1: right. But I also think that it is more... So, like, I, I think it would be super interesting if, instead of a gym teacher, you had a very articulate and cunning Hork-Bajir... Yeah. standing at the front of the plane and then have cassie hesitate to kill like i have a choice to kill this mm-hmm. one or not right like
2: that would have been better but that. That would have been cool. the
1: way the narrative is set up is like there's always a human controller leading the hork bajir leading the mm. taxons and there's this like hierarchy of roles and which like, is that's interesting the part where like the narrative kind of cheats by it's like well of course when you get to the boss it's going to be a human like yeah. i think that's where it's it like, kind of the fades. council
3: of 13 doesn't have any mm. humans on it it's all hork and, like, a couple of taxons, and... Oh, yeah. So, like, you'd think that hork right. would be considered yes. superior okay. in a lot of ways. That's
2: a good point. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, right. but, but there's no but. No, just, yeah. only
1: Tobias and Axe had taxon morphs, and it's not like that really made them empathize no. that much, right? Yeah. So, like... I, do, I totally buy that yeah. Cassie's like whatever I blew up a taxon like I still feel like the animorphs so like
2: yes it,
1: yeah and even myself like <laughs> I understand I have a I I I still think about Arbor and or sometimes Arbor. back oh, in the Endless like, Chronicles oh. and you know like there was some great taxon angst in that book but they're just like, <laughs> they're so
2: gross they're so <laughs> yeah. gross and awful.
3: <laughs> Yeah, I also thought the different levels of, like, empathy was interesting. Like, she wouldn't kill the human. She felt really bad for accidentally killing the horf And then she was like, okay, it's me or the taxon. And just blows him out of the sky.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Or,
1: like, if it had been a human pilot that she had to shoot mm-hmm. in the face, that also would have been interesting. But, it, like, the narratively, mm, it's a taxon yeah. <laughs> pilot because they do the subtle work.
2: <laughs> Our
1: favorite meaningless phrase.
2: <laughs> I love that phrase. Oh man,
1: nineties moments. What are we?
2: Nineties slash moments. <laughs> oh
1: god, yeah. Thank you for correcting me.
2: Um, the Blair Muppet That's project the best one. is mm-hmm. just that was ninety nine. Apparently was. The I Blair think that is project. the
1: best one of all
2: time. It's. I, I don't know about it of all time. We've had some good ones, but
0: god. Jenny, I just almost said no. The best one was the Brandy Cinderella reference
3: but that was canon it was (laughs) it was voted upon and everything
2: yep yep Totally. yeah where did
1: X get that cheetah morph that was so confusing (laughs) that they didn't explain that (laughs)
2: oh man um we had uh speaking of marco's driving uh if i got out of here alive i'd never again give marco a hard time about his driving (laughs) he was jeff gordon compared to me cassie Cassie doesn't know who
1: jeff gordon is (laughs) i I think that's inconsistent (laughs)
2: Actually, no, that's that. Yeah, I, I didn't know. So she would not know. And I did love this. I'm not sure this is like specifically a 90s reference, but it's such a good image. And it has some, you know, references of the time. I rolled the sleeping bag out on the floor of my little fort, put on my Mr. Rogers cardigan and laid out my feast, prune juice, half a roll of fresh mints and an entire <laughs> box of Slim Fast bars. Mm-hmm. Just what a picture. What a camp she's at.
3: Yeah, one thing that stood out to me is, like, it's not being necessarily a 90s reference, but kind of very much a 90s sort of, I don't know, mentality, is, like, how there's this whole shootout on the tarmac, and, like, the the Marines actually wait for the bad guys to shoot first, you know, rather than just being like, you have a gun, bam. And then, not only that, but then a commercial flight is allowed to take off after the shootout on the tarmac and just, you know, go on its merry way to Sydney without being shut down for, like, four hours
2: oh
0: yeah, yeah. at one point yeah. she talks about how there are people trying to keep the commercial airlines from bumping in or from the commuter planes from bumping into the 747s and i was like i'm sorry the people on the ground are doing that
3: i was, yeah, I was a little <laughs> confused
0: <seems> bad <laughs> oh, man. um i have a question for ted hey ted Oh, How yeah. did it feel when Cassie described amongst the things that are many that are horrible, like getting to school and finding out you left your homework on the bus, or your boyfriend dumping you, uh, one option is your socks don't match. <laughs> yeah, I was I, curious I'm about that. I'm surprised that she
1: cares about that.
0: Actually, yeah. It's unlikely that she would. <laughs>
1: I, I, right, maybe she has a little bit of like, you know, um... Like compulsive tendencies or something. Ooh, yeah. My socks currently don't
2: match. No, I they're great really, they're really great. They're very colorful. Maybe
3: Cassie's socks match because like she just buys all the same like plain bat- black pair or something.
2: Then why is oh, this a horror for her?
3: Because why it means she, she has like, someone God else's socks, like her parent's socks or something.
2: <laughs> Disturbing. I, I think that
1: she's just trying to be. She's she's trying to come up with generic examples that would appeal to like a normal person. And then this is just oh, a misfire yeah. because like, actually oh, no one cares care about-,
2: about clothing, right? Okay, sure. right, this right, this right. One. Cassie
1: thinks it's like it's like next level. She thinks that you should care <laughs> about your socks matching, even though she doesn't.
2: I have another thing for you, Ted. Which is, can you read this? This sound effect that we got many times of what happens when a, a on beam hits the water. <laughs> Amazing. Sorry,
1: that's Thank what it you. sounds like. <laughs> what it says is "balooosh." <laughs>
2: I liked your first one. I think we am sticking with that. <laughs> is I just copy that in my notes and beneath it, it says Ted. <laughs> uh, all right. Did anyone have more thoughts?
3: Well, okay. I guess this is sort of a slightly 90s thing, but like how Cassie apparently doesn't know how to use a cell phone properly because she finds one in a suitcase and then like tries to press send and clear and operator and like there was no noise, no static or anything. And I'm like, okay, that's not how no cell static. phones work. <laughs> That is wow, not man. at all.
2: <laughs> Poor I mean, Cassie. I do believe she didn't have reception,
3: but... Yeah, but, like, no, it, it doesn't... Of course it never doesn't make noise. <laughs> That's sure, not, there was no dial cone. Yeah. I had a random theory that just, like... I, I Just, like, a completely random theory. But I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, how... If a hork ever says anything and it's, like, hork language, it's always, like, Gafrosh! And yeah. I was like, what does the word Gafrosh mean? And I was like, what if it's a swear word? Like, what if the... That's the Hork-Bajir, like... I don't know, saying something really bad every time. That. Because, like, it, it always seems to universally apply to whenever the Animorphs are there.
2: I love that.
1: I love it. That's so true. And I love
2: that. Example. Yes. Yes. These bleeping Andalites.
0: <laughs> the Hork-Bajir said a word I didn't even know Hork-Bajir knew.
2: No, I did
3: have one other thing I wanted to mention. Um. Uh, Something I've noticed... That ever since it pops up, ever since you guys um, discussed it back in book 17 about, like, the whole um, use of the word nuts as, like, oh, a yeah. really common thing. And I was like, wow, they do it a lot in here, too. Like, Cassie's, like, you know, gives the exposition background and she's like, you must think I'm nuts. And then the Marine's like, I'm hearing a talking bird. That must be totally nuts. And I'm like, what Marine says totally nuts? <laughs> and then. It was,
2: like, totally nuts?
3: And then, like when Cassie's in the plane and she's, like, Im- imagining what the Animorphs might say, and she was, like, she's, like, if you're hearing voices in your head, that's, like, a sign of mental illness, right? And I'm, like, you guys are, like, yeah. stop digging yourselves deeper. <laughs> Please don't. Although
2: I do kind of like that as a connection to uh, Megamorphs 4 when Cassie was, like, legitimately afraid mm-hmm. that she had, like, mental health issues. They, and I don't think they've treated mental health issues well enough to, like, earn, like, the benefit of the doubt for that, but... Yeah, I, I do like it some is, aspects. of I mean, it.
1: it's a good like because normally Marco's the one who's like that's insane, and he mm-hmm. like he's the and then so it's it's interesting that yeah, even in Cassie's point of view, who you think she would be the most empathetic, they <laughs> just go to the well of like you must think I'm nuts.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just not yeah. on their radar. Yeah,
1: I do love Cassie's plan to rile up marines using thought speed. that's like very cassie i and then love. she's
2: like "Ugh, marines with discipline i was like is is that not most marines you i the guess few i don't know a lot of marines personally but
1: it's just because cassie's a loose cannon in the animal she <laughs> assumes that everyone's going to be a risk
2: taker <laughs> a loose cannon oh man ends up in australia in this book
0: At one point, she tries to rile up the Yerk controller by pooping on his head. That's right. (laughs) Okay, again, her amazing
2: control of bird poop, which apparently not a thing.
0: This is a great plan. Excellently... uh, excellently carried out, well done.
1: That's the connection to 14, <laughs> is the the dramatic yeah. pooping.
0: Yep. <laughs> she does.
1: Cassie poops as a horse in 14.
0: Oh, yes.
2: Yes, there you go.
0: But the the um, reaction of this controller is he, he, he... The bird poop splattered over the phone and onto his head. He hurls his phone to the pavement, pulls a pistol from his jacket... Yells and delight and shoots at, th- at the seagull above his head. That's legit. And he's correct, but can you imagine if that was the reaction of every <laughs> controller that had something like a bird pooped on him or like he saw a fly? Like, yeet your phone and shoot at the animal.
2: Fresh. <laughs> yeah, that yurk used to be in a harp with your body. Uh, <laughs> that's how he swears that. now.
1: That's, that's a great point. Right, he's not wrong, but it's also <laughs> a terrible reaction.
2: Sorry. It would be chaos. Is it time for predictions?
3: I think so. Yeah, that's all my notes. All
0: right.
1: So I vetted the inside cover. Okay. The inside cover is clear to look at.
0: Great. Okay.
2: Look at the revelation. You're going to love it, Gray. You're going to love it so much. It's actually... I don't think it's that bad.
0: You very rarely do, though. I know. I,
2: I am probably wrong. I mean, usually...
1: The second one is kind of cute.
2: Yeah, it's not. It's not that bad. Oh, jeez.
1: <laughs> the third one is pretty unfortunate, but I feel I I more feel bad for it than I'm yeah, repulsed by it.
0: exactly. Okay. Um, so great, great, great.
1: Yeah, please describe this for our listeners.
0: If I must. Okay. Uh, Revelation, <laughs> book forty-five. It is. It is a marker book, and um, he is morphing into an ant, which we've talked about this. Please stop.
2: Yeah, I know. What are you thinking, Marco? Yeah,
3: at least it's not Aunt Cassie. It,
0: it's true, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, maybe are you sure
2: that an ant isn't morphing into him? Uh, no.
1: It's the the ant POV book. That's
2: the revelation. <laughs> I, Didn't we make this joke was... with
1: the Bov book back? The-
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, the pictures are are pretty terrifying. There are extra arms. There are mandibles. It's, it's gross. Um, okay. um... Sometimes there's no escape, even for the animorphs, which is unhelpful. And the inside cover is the ant is in the front seat of a car.
2: Is it driving? <laughs> is it
0: being, um no, it's being, it's in the passenger seat. Oh, okay. The car is being driven by someone who's sitting as close to the steering wheel as I usually sit, so someone very old, <laughs> I assume. <laughs>
2: great
1: you're not very old
0: (laughs) Mm. okay (laughs) i am trying to remember if i had any predictions for the next marco book and i can't remember so i'm just gonna go for it oh no uh okay um it's a it's a marco book and it's gonna be his mom comes back and the revelation is he has to reveal to his dad that his mom is still alive. Ooh,
2: I like. Ooh, I love it. That's amazing. What a great prediction. Yeah, that's <laughs> fascinating.
1: But like, and How then does what? his dad
2: take it?
0: <laughs> and it, uh, his dad uh, freaks out about it, obviously, because he's now you know a bigamist. Um, <laughs> but it's maybe it's like a it's like a passing like he, his dad finds out that the mom is still alive by, like, seeing her in the distance or something. Like, he... he, he I don't...
2: Oh, so he's not sure. He, like,
0: he's not sure. Um,
2: he's just haunted by doubt now.
0: Right. Um, it's not great for his Okay, dad. so
1: Marco doesn't have to be, like, mom's alive and also possessed by anything. Yeah,
0: else. because I don't think we're going to tell the dad and Nora about the, the yurks. Uh, so it doesn't seem like it's, like, a Marco reveals it. Um, and then his mm-hmm. mom is okay. back because she is... Once more in a fight with Visser 3, but this time she's gonna actually get captured and by Visser 3 instead of by the council. And oh, yeah. there is a line in this book about how um, the Yerks are, you know, s- stealthy takeover instead of a full out fight, and Visser 3 is gonna try and um, make her watch him move it into all out battle. <gasps>
2: You think it's gonna go into all out battle in this book?
0: Or he's gonna want it to, but it's a this or three plan, so it's gonna go around okay. poorly. That's a good point, yeah. All right. Any other follow ups?
1: No, I'm super excited for this one. It's yeah. Going to be, it's gonna be a good one.
2: I'm excited for Marco's dad to find out about his mom. I guess.
1: you think that if he had marco he knew about (laughs) marco's moments. but the revelation
2: it was a very secret it's the birds and
1: the bees and the ants talk
2: (laughs) oh no so rena it was so nice to have you on again can you you say something
3: thank you so much for having me thank you for letting me ramble about australia
2: can you say something for us again in your accent yeah
3: oh oh, gosh what do you want me to say i don't know um Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a you know really great time talking and listening to you guys and hearing your reactions to this book are Yes. Just really awesome.
2: It was yeah, so amazing. awesome for us too, especially the accent.
3: I love the Australian accent.
2: <laughs> Bye. 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 If you
0: want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends.
1: And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website.
2: Yummy. <laughs> like, <to> me more?
0: <laughs> Yummy more.